0: Uh, in the Church Bible, it's page 1166, 1 Corinthians 50 to 58. <coughs> I declare to you, brothers and sisters, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable. Inherit the imperishable Listen, I will tell you I will tell you a mystery We will not all sleep But we will all be changed In a flash In the twinkling of an eye At the last trumpet For the trumpet will sound The dead will be raised Imperishable And we will be changed For the perishable must clothe itself With the imperishable and the mortal with the immortality. When the perishable has been closed with all the imperishable, and the mortal with immortality, then the saying that is written will come true. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks to God... But thanks be to God, He gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my dear brother and sisters, brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fu- fully to the work of the Lord, because you know your work, labor is the Lord. In the Lord is not vain. This is the word of the Lord.
1: But thank you so much, Mike. So as we come to God's words uh, this morning, let's pray together. Father God, as we come to Your word, we pray that You would make it live in us. Your word says that death has been defeated and that Christ is is victorious. And yet we know that too often we live as if Christ has been defeated and that death is victorious. Oh Lord, so we pray and we beg you, please make the truth of Jesus' resurrection gloriously alive in us. That we may be a people who are more gloriously alive in him. Come now, by your spirit we pray, and do this work in our hearts, for it's what you alone can do. Amen. I wonder if you've heard this poem read at a funeral you've attended. Do not stand at my grave and weep. I am not there. I do not sleep. I am a thousand winds that blow. I am the diamond glint on snow. I am the sunlight on ripened grain. I am the gentle autumn rain. When you wake in the morning hush, I am the swift uplifting rush. Of quiet birds in circling flight, I am the soft starlight at night. Do not stand at my grave and weep. I am not there, I do not sleep. Do not stand at my grave and cry. I am not there, I did not die. I've heard it many, many times at funerals and every time I hear it, it makes me hurt inside because it reflects just how confused our culture is about death. Poems like this have a superficial, uh, saccharine sentimentality about them, but they don't offer any real hope in the face of death. Poems like this reflect just how far removed our culture at large is from the Christian faith. And what's far more concerning to me as a church leader is that i don't think many faithful church going christians seem to realize that their ideas about death are more influenced by the surrounding culture than they are by this therefore let me say this as clearly as i can that poem i read does not reflect does not reflect a truly christian biblical understanding of death. So let me save you the bother now. Please, 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 please please don't ask me to read that at your funeral. (laughs) At least not if you want me to take it. Instead, point people to the true hope we have in Jesus Christ. The hope of resurrection. The poem says, I am not there, I did not die. And I feel like it needs another line at the end, and this is just a wishful lie. Christians have no business whatsoever denying death. Rather, Christianity gives us the courage to tell the truth about death. And likewise, the Christian hope is not that when we die, we become a drop in the cosmic bucket, that has more to do with Buddhism than it does with Christianity. Rather, the authentic Christian hope, as we've been exploring together over the last few weeks, is the resurrection of the dead. And the resurrection isn't the denial of death. It's the undoing of death. Jesus didn't cheat death. He went through death to the other side. That's what resurrection means. There is no resurrection without death therefore the good news isn't that death is fake news but that death real as it is has been defeated resurrection is the death of death Now, we've been exploring this, the meaning of Easter together through the month of May, looking at the Apostle Paul's teaching about the resurrection and its significance in 1 Corinthians 15. And today, as we finish uh, this magnificent chapter, I want us to get really, really practical and think about how we, as Christians, should think about death in the light of the resurrection. And I say that's practical because unless Jesus comes before every single one of us in this room is going to die. Every single one of us in this room will have someone that we know who dies. And for some of us, that's really close and personal right now, and I know that. And I hope that this will help us process that and ask the question, well, how does being a Christian give us a different perspective on death? From our neighbour next door who doesn't share that faith? How does it change it for us as those who believe in a crucified and risen Messiah? And as we look together uh, at this last bit of Paul's teaching on the resurrection, I think we're going we're to learn three things, or right? I hope we are. First, that death is not a dead end, but the road to resurrection. Second, that death is an enemy, but a defeated enemy. And third, that death's defeat gives us purpose, In the present. So that's where we're going. Let's start with number one. Death is not a dead end, but the road to resurrection. Now, many people think of life as a journey and death as our journey's end. And clearly there's some truth in that. But it's not quite the whole truth. Listen again to what Paul says in verse 54 When the perishable has been closed with the imperishable and the mortal with immortality then the saying that is written will come true. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Last week, if you were here, Angie uh, unpacked the meaning of Paul's words about the resurrection body. And Paul likens our current bodies to a seed of our resurrection bodies in continuity with what has gone before, but as different uh, as an acorn is from an oak tree. Now, to change the image just a little, Uh, Let's consider the metamorphosis of a caterpillar into a butterfly. When a caterpillar forms a chrysalis, is that the end of the caterpillar? No? Yes? Yes and no, isn't it? It's the end of its life as a caterpillar... But the butterfly isn't an entirely new creature altogether, is it? It's in continuity with what's gone before, but it's different. It's a new kind of creature, not a new creature. Does that make sense? Well, the Apostle Paul uses this metaphor, uses the metaphor also here of of clothing to get across this point. The perishable must clothe itself with the imperishable and the mortal with immortality. Now, if someone were to get rid of all my clothes and buy me an entirely new wardrobe, I would still be Steve Harvey. But I'd be a new-look Steve Harvey, and some of you might be thinking he needs it. (laughs) Death is not the end for those who belong to Christ. Paul says this earlier in the chapter, For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. But each in turn, Christ the first fruits; then when he comes those who belong to him. So going back to this image of life as a journey, the reality of resurrection turns a terminus, the journey's end, into a tunnel. It's not the end of the journey, but it's the end of this part of the journey. For those of us who have joined ourselves to Jesus in faith, we have a connection leading to resurrection life. It's not end of the line, it's all change, please. Do you see the difference? There's a prayer in the old monastic service of Compline, night prayer, which begins like this. It says, Lord Jesus Christ, Son of the living God, who at this evening hour lay in the tomb and so hallowed the grave to be a bed of hope for all who put their trust in you. Through his death, Jesus fully identified with with all of us in our deaths. And in doing so, Michael Lloyd explains he shared with us the lifelessness that is otherwise the terminus of our earthly journey. But his very presence in the grave transforms it. And because the Father raised Jesus from the dead on that first Easter Sunday, now the grave is no longer a dead end but the road to resurrection. Pope Gregory the Great says that through the death and resurrection of Jesus, God has made this abyss, death, into a way. The martyred German pastor and theologian Dietrich Bonhoeffer's f- final words summed this up well. As he was led away by the Gestapo to his execution, he said, this is the end, for me, the beginning of life. there's someone who knew the Christian hope. We will not all sleep, Paul says in verse 51. The early Christians spoke about death as falling asleep. It was a euphemism, an indirect way of referring to something a bit embarrassing or unpleasant, in the same way that today we speak of someone passing away. But as the biblical scholar Andrew Wilson explains their habit, the early Christians' habit is far more biblical and hope-filled than ours. The image of sleeping points forward to a day when we will wake up and rise, bodies and all, rather than merely passing away into an ethereal land of shadows. The image of sleeping implies waking You don't sleep indefinitely. Your time of sleep will end and then you'll wake. Therefore, can I just encourage us all as a bit of a discipline to ourselves? Why don't we try speaking of those who have died in the faith as those who have fallen asleep in the Lord? Let's try that. Let's recover this biblical way of thinking about death. Let's say again of the faithful departed, may they rest in peace and rise in glory. That's the Christian hope. But let's also be mindful of the sad truth of what this means for those who die without Christ. Going back to that metaphor of life as a journey, when we put our trust in Jesus, he brings us with him into resurrection. But for those who don't put their trust in Jesus, death is the end of the line. Henry Nouwen explains, hell is a second death. Just as there is an eternal life, there is an eternal death. Our first death can be a passage not only to eternal life, but also to eternal death. Looking at hell as a second death takes away the images of eternal suffering and torture that are so prevalent in medieval art and literature. It defines hell more as the refusal to choose life than as a punishment for wrongdoing." When we sow death, we will reap death, but when we sow life, we will reap life. It's we who do the sowing. For us, to know death as a passage, not as a dead end, is to begin then to recover the urgency of evangelism. C.S. Lewis gives us a wonderful picture of death as a passageway to resurrection life at the end of The Voyage of the Dawn Treader. Have anyone read the, read, read the books or watched the film? Uh, a few. Well, the adventure leads the explorers to the wall of water that marks the world's end, beyond which lies Aslan's country. And Reaper Jeep, the valiant um, talking mouse, has been looking forward to this moment all of his life. And he asks permission of Aslan to enter. And after bidding his friends farewell, he jumps into his little coracle and begins to paddle up the side of the wave until it sweeps him over the top and out of sight. And Lewis, the narrator, says, Since that moment, no one can truly claim to have seen Reaper Cheep the mouse. But my belief is that he came safe to Aslan's country and is alive there to this day. The Red Sea looked like a dead end to the Israelites as they came out of Egypt. It looks, with Pharaoh's chariot racing from one side, the Red Sea at the other, it looked like there was death from both directions. But God made a way where there was no way. And so it is also for us who are in Christ. Death becomes the road to Resurrection. Second, death is an enemy, but a defeated enemy. The reality of resurrection doesn't negate the reality of death, but it does put it in its rightful place. So Michael Lloyd again writes this. He says, Jesus' resurrection did not cancel out his crucifixion. He still bore the marks of the nails in his resurrection body. It is not now as if the crucifixion had never been On the contrary, the crucifixion is now forever present in him and part of him. He remains forever affected by what happened, eternally shaped by it. Paul puts it this way, and he's quoting the prophet Isaiah. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Swallowed up. What happens when you swallow something? It's taken into you, digested, and absorbed. It isn't instantly obliterated. Death, Paul says, is like that. Death is real and it's still awful, but in Christ it's no longer ultimate, it's no longer the last word. It's dark, but its wings have been clipped. Uh, Tim Keller uh, likens it to a nightmare he once had, in which he dreamed that his whole family had died. And he says this, When I awoke, my relief was enormous. But there was much more than just relief. My delight in each member of my family was tremendously enriched. I looked at each one and realized how grateful I was for them, how deeply I loved them. Why? My joy had been greatly magnified by the nightmare. My delight on awakening took the terror up into itself, as it were, so that in the end my love for them was only greater for my having lost them and found them again. That is something of what it means for death to be swallowed up in victory. Resurrection doesn't take death away. Rather, like the body of the risen Christ still bearing the scars of his crucifixion, resurrection is somehow in the the gracious, abundant economy of God, all the more glorious because of death. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 13, the Apostle Paul writes this, Brothers and sisters, we do not want you to be uninformed about those who sleep in death, so that you do not grieve like the rest of mankind who have no hope. Notice what Paul doesn't say. He doesn't say, don't grieve. He doesn't say that. Rather, Paul says we're to grieve Hopefully. Paul isn't trying to tell us to be stoics. There, there, it's okay, chin up, keep a stiff upper lip, try and make the most of a bad situation. Crying about it won't make it any better. It's not what he's saying. Paul is telling us to be Christians. Grieve. Cry. Weep. Rage against the dying of the light. Death is not natural. Death is not the way it ought to be. But remember this, it might be Friday now, but Sunday's coming. Because Jesus lives, those who belong to Jesus will also live. We mourn because death has stolen the life of one that we love. But we have hope because Christ has defeated death forever. Where, O oh death, is your victory? Where, O oh death, is your sting? Paul takes up the chant like fans taunting their rivals at a football match. You're not stinging anymore. You might get that a little bit later. <laughs> this is the church's unique hope in the face of death. Not a naive optimism, it will be all right in the end. Not blind denial, I am not there, I did not die. Rather like the young David standing over the body of the slain giant Goliath. Jesus has faced down death and won. At the cross, death didn't just throw the kitchen sink at Jesus, it threw the whole kitchen at him. But death couldn't keep him in his grasp. Only those who have faced the full horror of death can know the joy of resurrection. The great challenge for us as Christians is to hold these two truths together. The fact that, yes, death is an enemy. He's not a friend, he's an enemy. But he's a defeated enemy. Plato, uh, probably the most famous Western philosopher of all time, uh, And his writings continue to have a strong influence to this day, often in ways that we're not even aware of. And in one of them, the Fido, uh, Socrates asks the poignant question, must not all things at last be swallowed up in death? Well, without Christ, death is the great full stop at the end of life. With Christ, oh, with Christ, death is merely a semicolon. We mustn't belittle death because to belittle death also belittles the resurrection. But we mustn't give death too much credit either. It's kind of like what Jesus is saying about paying taxes to Caesar give to Caesar what is Caesar's and give to God what is God's. Don't give to death more than death's due. A Christian attitude to death isn't to make friends with it, but to to recognize that through the life and the death and resurrection of Jesus, it will ultimately lead us home to God. Jesus fulfilled the law and drew death's sting onto himself. He was stung with the poison of our sin. Your sin. My sin. Death unleashed on him all its furious arsenal so that now he's risen from the dead. Its firepower is exhausted. Death has lost its sting. That's good news. And thirdly, finally, death's defeat gives us purpose in the present. Listen again to the way that Paul concludes this majestic uh, teaching of Easter that is 1 Corinthians 15. So, uh, last verse, verse 58. Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord, because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. You know, what? it's hard work following a crucified Messiah. But Paul reminds the Christians in Corinth, Oh, it's so worth it. Nothing we do for him now will be wasted, even if we can't see the fruits in our own lifetime. Tom Wright explains that Easter has a very this-worldly meaning. Jesus is raised, so he is the Messiah and therefore the world's true Lord. Jesus is raised, so God's new creation has begun and we, his followers, have a job to do. Jesus is raised, so we must act as his heralds, announcing his lordship to the entire world, making his kingdom come on earth as in heaven. The resurrection gives meaning to our lives now. Our work for the Lord now is not building sandcastles where the tide's going to come in and knock it all down. The ways in which we take part in God's work of recreation, will echo through eternity. Uh, Rod Searle uh, has uh, a picture at home of him standing outside uh, the home of his beloved Sunderland football club. And he's standing by a brick with his name on it as part of a fundraising campaign for its building. And Paul is saying that our work for the kingdom will be a bit like that. There'll be a brick in the wall of the city of God with your name on it. Now, it might not look like much. It's one brick. But put those bricks together and God the master builder will build it into something wonderful. Every loving act we ever do, every difficult but right choice we ever make, Every sacrifice we make for the sake of others is that brick. And we might not see how God's taking it and using it, but he is. The resurrection assures us that our lives now are not a zero-sum game. We're not just waiting to die so we can be with the Lord, but rather, as Paul tells the Philippians, there's profitable work to be done now. And Tom Wright puts it better than anyone else I know. He says, It is a matter of the greatest encouragement to Christian workers, most of whom are away from the public eye, unsung heroes and heroines, getting on faithfully and quietly with their God-given tasks, that what they do in the Lord during the present time will last, will matter, will stand for all time. How God will take our prayer, our art, our love, our writing, our political action, our music, our honesty, our daily work, our pastoral care, our teaching, our whole selves. How God will take this and weave its varied strand into the glorious tapestry of his new creation, we can at present have no idea. That he will do so is part of the truth of the resurrection and perhaps one of the most comforting parts of all. Those times when you obey the Lord and you wonder, what is the point? What difference am I making? The resurrection says, you're building for the kingdom. And it's not in vain. As Christians, we're called to live Christ's victory over death. Now, you might be thinking, that sounds great, what does that mean? As I hope that I've made clear in the first part of the sermon, that doesn't mean eating dirt and saying it tastes like ice cream. Victorious Christian living means living in a way that wouldn't make sense if there wasn't a resurrection. Loving your enemies, telling the truth even when it hurts, deciding to serve instead of being served. Choosing to adopt a wartime lifestyle in order to share more of what you have with others. Coming alongside the people that the world says are a lost cause. Preferring to be wounded rather than to wound. Patiently bearing with the failures of others. Believing that they really can change. And even if they don't, it's worth hoping. Mother Teresa once said, nothing done in love is ever lost but that's only true if the resurrection is real if it's not then everything done in love go up in smoke the resurrection also means that we shouldn't be afraid of death not just our death or the death of our loved ones but also the smaller deaths of which with which we're confronted every day like the closure of the luncheon club after 30 years In God's economy, death doesn't mean failure. And that's really important for us to remember because it's so at odds with the way that the world sees things. Often the ending of one thing gives space for the the growth of another. And Jesus says that himself. He says in John 12, Unless a grain of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. And Paul says the same thing in verse 36. He says, what you sow does not come to life unless it dies. Now there's a fear among some, uh, especially at this time in the Church of England, uh, that closing church buildings says that God is dead. I understand that. But then I just want to say, where's our faith in the God of resurrection? Perhaps one reason that we don't see new life is because we're too afraid to die. can't have resurrection without death. C.S. Lewis explains, hope is one of the theological virtues. This means that a continual looking forward to the eternal world is not, as some modern people think, a form of escapism or wishful thinking, but one of the things a Christian is meant to do. It does not mean that we're to leave the present world as it is. If you read history, you'll find that the Christians who did most for the present world were just those who thought most of the next. It is since Christians have largely ceased to think of the other world that they've become so ineffective in this. Aim at heaven and you'll get the earth thrown in. Aim at earth, you'll get neither. As Christians, we're meant to be Easter people. The resurrection of Jesus isn't really meant to be something that we celebrate once a year, but something that we live every second of every minute of every hour of every day. It's meant to be in our DNA as Jesus' people. So, saints, I want to encourage us and perhaps challenge us as well to think about death as Christians. In a culture that just doesn't know how to deal with the truth of death, Will you show that there's another way? Will you remember that Jesus has turned death from a dead end into a road to resurrection? Will you acknowledge the horror of death? Not saying, there, there, it doesn't matter. You know, they're a happier place now. We don't want that. That isn't of any comfort to someone who's just lost a loved one. Death is an enemy. Don't you dare say that it's not, but also remind them that it is a defeated enemy. And yes, it hurts, but it doesn't have the ultimate victory. And will you allow? Will you allow the resurrection to be your why? Will you allow it to give you mean, meaning to your life here and now? The world is crying out for a better hope than I am not here, I did not die. Brothers and sisters, we've got one. It's called the resurrection of Jesus. (laughs) And the words of John Newton, let us tell a dying world, you have nothing to fear from death. For Jesus by dying has disarmed its sting, Perfumed the grave and opened the gates of glory. Friends, this morning, can we just celebrate Jesus? He is the one who has given us the victory. Who has turned our most fearsome enemy into one who has been completely disarmed. Who gives us hope even in the face of death? This is our story. Is it your song? Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for the victory that you've given us through our Lord Jesus Christ. Please make the resurrection more than just an idea to us, make it live in us. May it be something that inspires us day to day. May it be something that is as real to us as the law of gravity. Lord, would you embed the hope of resurrection deep within our hearts until it takes, our, takes hold of our imaginations. Lord, would you give us a biblical Christian view of death that allows us to live purposely, grieve hopefully, and die well. For we ask it in the name of our crucified and risen Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. So as we uh, respond to God's word, let's, uh, let's sing together uh, as we prepare to come and celebrate uh, Jesus' victory over death around the table.